Baptist Church, Charlotte. Jesus, name. thank you so much. Carlos, thank you so very much. And once again, thank you everybody for being here. Um, for the last couple of weeks, I, I've been taking a closer look at Isaiah and this classic prophecy that we find in chapter nine of his book. Um, and why do I call it classic? Well, uh, first of all, it is such a clear picture of of Messiah, right? He, Isaiah has a, what I used to call back in the day or what we used to call, he's the eagle eye prophet. His visions, his prophecies of, of Jesus, of Messiah uh, are so vivid and so clear. Um, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up, sitting on a throne and his train filled the temple. I mean, his, his, his imagery is, you can imagine it. You can see it in your mind's eye. And so I always love to read the prophecy of Isaiah. So I've been ruminating on this text, Isaiah chapter number nine and, and a couple of ch chapters before and a couple of chapters afterwards for context, just so that I can get more out of this text. Um, the, the, the people of Israel is the focus. Um, and he, he, he talks about in Isaiah 822, um, that, uh, they are in great distress and darkness, the people of Israel, that is. And then it points to us who are being saved through faith in this Christ child, right? Isaiah promises to bring a bright and beautiful future through him to us and to Israel as well. So I've been ruminating on this text for the last three weeks, as you know. So three weeks ago, I preached um, or taught on Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That was one of the um, titles that was given in Isaiah chapter number nine and verse six. Um, and then last week, um, I taught on uh, the, Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Y'all remember that? And so this week, I am taking another title from that same text. Jesus is the mighty God. So let me just read that text again so that, so that you all will hear it. I'm reading Isaiah chapter number nine. I'll just read verse six. Um, it says here, um, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So tonight we're focusing on Jesus is the Mighty God. Um, here we find that the scripture promises that God is going to do some amazing things to redeem Israel and to set this world, us included, to rights. And what is at the heart of this hopeful future? Well, the arrival of the prophesied Christ child in, in a manger, right? We just referred to it, right? Isaiah the prophet declares this 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 unbelievable text is really what what I, I you know the more you think about it the more you regard it as really being you know quite amazing for unto us a child is born a son is given right an audacious claim indeed 
would you say? And when you take a look at recent events in the Middle East and elsewhere, uh, the chaos and confusion that won't seem to go away does point to texts like these, right? This prophetic text. Yet, here, uh, this audacious claim of the Christian that God is going to answer and deal with every calamity and every terrorist and every uh, bad thing that has ever happened to us through this Christ child that is born in a manger, right? Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. Now, of course, 2,000 years ago, when, when over 2,000 years ago, when this was, was given to us, um, it was noised abroad. We had the re reports of not only the shepherds, but the, the angels abiding in a field, feeding their flocks by night. And the angel appears to him and was like, listen, this, this thing is going to happen. It's going to bug you out. And, and, and the angels themselves, as we talked about last week, were, were amazed that God himself, who they know, right, would wrap himself into the form of a baby and make himself vulnerable to those whom he had created in a manger. So, so who would this child be? What will this child do? Isaiah's prophecy doesn't give us the complete description. We are only given these four names. But the names tell us a lot about what this child would be about. It says he will be called Wonderful Counselor last week, Mighty God this week, Everlasting Father next week, I'll do that next week, and the Prince of Peace I did three weeks ago. This is a bold name for a baby, don't you think? Imagining... Imagine, if you will, with me, um, opening a birth announcement. We do that nowadays. We got these birth announcements. Maybe a card, an envelope you get in the mail, um, announcement from your friend or even from your sister. Uh, there is this charming picture of a precious little baby boy with the details of his birth. You read, born December 3rd, whatever, 2023, uh, eight pounds four ounces, 22 inches, and his name, not Jeff or Don or Kevin or Michael, name is Mighty God. I think your your, your sister would be seriously, uh, uh, well, audacious probably is the same word I would use to name her child Mighty God. But God didn't think of it as unusual. But was the prophet Isaiah really saying that this child would be the mighty God? Often in the Old Testament, people are given names that describe what they will do or what God will do through that child, right? For example, Hezekiah's name meant the Lord is my strength. Isaiah's own name means the Lord has brought salvation. So the name says something about what God will do. Let me say that again, what God will do through this individual. And so it is here as well. The child's name, we might say, is a kind of job description. The child will reveal the mighty God. So now as Christians, we confess in light of 
the progressive revelation of scripture, the same about Jesus that he reveals to the world, the mighty God of the Bible in a unique way. Do you remember what Jesus said to Philip when Philip said to Jesus, Jesus, show us the father. And Jesus turned around and looked at him and said in John 14, Jesus revealed to him the father. If you've seen me, he said, you've seen the father. The father is at work through me. Paul said that God was in Christ. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Right? Yet the Bible is often wanting to say more. The Bible says we see through a glass darkly, right? The, the Bible is to be interpreted because of the fact that it wasn't written in English. The, the original tongues of the Bible, the Hebrew Bible was Hebrew from Genesis to Malachi and then uh, from Matthew to uh, Revelation, we know that was written in Greek and Aramaic. And so we, we do require some translation when we look back at the original tongue. Bible wants to say more as we see the mighty power of God at work in Jesus. We realize that Jesus himself is in fact the mighty God come in flesh, even as a baby, as a child. We see this being born out. Now, taking Isaiah's name for this child as our starting point, I want to take a look at the life of Jesus from his conception to his resurrection to see how the mighty God is at work in Jesus. We know that the name of Jesus means Yahweh or Jehovah has become my salvation. So Yahweh, remember the Hebrew language has no vowels, right? So it's spelled Y-H-W-H, which, which the translation that they give it is Jehovah, right? Jehovah has become our salvation. That is the literal translation of the name Jesus, right? So, so my goal with the study, I want to encourage each of us to look and rely on Jesus as the mighty God, because that's, that was the purpose of him coming. As Paul says, he is able to do uh, far more exceedingly above, above that which, which we are able to ask or think according to the power that works within us. So let's start at the very beginning. At his conception, Mary was overshadowed by God, the divine power. So let's start there. It was an immaculate conception, right? Uh, Mary was still a virgin, in other words, which is on the surface at least a contradiction in terms. You don't need to be an OBGYN or a physician who specializes in, in reproduction to know that virgins don't conceive children, right? <laughs> to us, that's a biological impossibility. But those things that are impossible with man are very possible with God, the Bible tells us. And so it was in this case, in this case of Jesus's conception, he came into existence through the supernatural means. That is the power of God overshadowing this virgin. And yet he did so in the womb of this girl. And I say girl because the Bible tells us, or we can, we can surmise from the text that she was, you know, early teens maybe. And Luke refers to this stunning miracle when he records the words of the angel. Uh, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So that Holy One will born of you shall be called, Luke 1.35, the Son of God. 
the only begotten of God. That's how the word son there is translated. You see, in the conception of Christ in Mary's womb, God did something he had never done before and probably and never will do again. Let me just remove the word probably. He will never do it again. By the power of the Spirit, God brought together two radically different realities in a single unity. He, he wedded divinity of God with humanity of Mary. Come on, somebody. And in the person of Jesus, God transversed an infinite gap to bring together his own divine nature with our human nature in one person. It's an amazing display of power right here in the womb of a virgin. One of the English Puritan writers, Stephen Charnock, describes this miracle this way. He wrote it in a book. Uh, the book was entitled The Existence and Attributes of God. He writes this beautiful phrase. I'll read it for you. What a wonder is it that two natures infinitely distant should be more intimately united than anything in this world, and yet without any confusion. That is the same person should have both a glory and a grief, an infinite joy in the deity and an inexpressible sorrow in his humanity. That a God upon the throne should be an infant in a cradle, the thundering creator by a weep weeping babe and a suffering man. These are such expressions of, of a mighty power as well as condescending love that they astonish men upon the earth as well as angels in the heaven. I find that to be super beautiful. As a matter of fact, it is the reason why the angels remarked in exclamation, right? When they responded, like I told you the last couple of weeks, glory to God, they said, in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Look what God has done is what they said. Because they couldn't believe what God had actually done. You see, the mighty God's displays of his mighty power doesn't end with Jesus' birth. It's just beginning. It continues, as you might have guessed, throughout the whole of his life. And, and we have uh, a picture or two of Jesus' life in the Bible from the gospel writers. In fact, from the very start of his public ministry, Luke tells us that the power of the Spirit was upon him, Luke, Luke 4.14. And when he began to proclaim the gospel, this is what he says about himself. When he got up in that synagogue, y'all remember that? Uh, in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, he took the Isaiah scroll, opened it, and he read from Luke 4, verse 18 to 21. He says, quote, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he, God, has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In verse 20, then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And then he said, then he said, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue, the Bible says in verse 20, was fastened upon. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
Verse 22, all of them spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from the lips of this young man. And, and one of them asked, isn't, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this, isn't this Joseph's boy? What are we hearing here? I chuckle because <laughs> have you ever known someone that you haven't seen in a while and then you meet them again and then they are astonishing? you know, in their presentation, either out of their mouth comes these beautiful words or their physical transformation is so amazing that you're like, wow, where have you been, bro? You know, and that's kind of like what's happened here. They grew up with Jesus. They knew him. And one of them was like, isn't this, isn't this Joseph's son? And this, this was Joseph's son, right? My eyes deceiving me. <laughs> and so it was. His life and ministry were unlike anything anyone has ever seen. Uh, they came with such clear demonstrations of power. And again, Luke tells us that everyone who saw Jesus cast out the, the demon out of this man was amazed and said to each other, what words are these that he speaks with authority and power? He gives orders to demons and impure spirit, and they come out. You find that in Luke 4.36. It was because Jesus was teaching with such clear demonstration of power, everyone that saw him was, was astonished. They were flocking to him. Which, by the way, is one of the reasons why the, the Pharisees took notice of him, because they were losing their membership because they were going to Jesus. On one occasion, a woman who had been bleeding, hemorrhaging, really, for 12 years in Mark 5, found her way to the crowd that was rolling upon Jesus. And she, she burrowed her way through and stretched forth her hand and touched his garment. Touched his garment. Y'all know the story, right? And the Bible says once she touched him, virtue, because of her faith, virtue left him through the touch into her. And immediately her hemorrhage seized up, right? Immediately she was healed. And Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And he turned around and was like, yo, which one of y'all are demonstrating serious faith around here? In other words, uh, who touched my clothes? Mark 5, 30. Uh, and and, and it's, it is just one of the examples Right. Uh, of, of Jesus, uh, his physical presence was so powerful that it was hard to ignore. Wherever Jesus went in this world, he constantly met op opposition. Whether it was in the form of sickness, spiritual ignorance, demonic possession, or even death itself. Yet, as the Gospels reveal, thank God for the Gospels, we see the power of the mighty God the mighty God constantly at work in and through him, pushing back on the forces at work in this fallen world. Not, not Jesus unleashing his own power per se, but allowing God to flow through him and doing the work. Uh, the Bible says in one place, Paul said it, that God was in Christ. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. I want you to, I want you to see that. It was God inside of him doing the work. And so it is with, with us. This is why I'm emphasizing it like this. God in us doing the work of the kingdom. And so if you allow yourself... If you allow yourself to be used of God, you would be mimicking, if you will, what it was that Jesus 
was brought here to do. You would be doing the work of God because you're allowing the Spirit of God to work through you. Um, back in my early, early days, um, there's this one song I used to love to sing. And I, I brought you the lyrics tonight because I want you to get a peep of it. It was called It's All in Him. Y'all know it? The mighty God is Jesus. The Prince of Peace is He. The Everlasting Father, the King eternally. The wonderful in wisdom by whom all things were made. The fullness of the Godhead in Jesus is displayed. And then the chorus, it's all in Him. It's all in Him. The fullness of the Godhead, it's all in Him. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. The mighty God is Jesus. And it's all in him. Second verse, Emmanuel, God is with us. Jehovah, Lord of hosts, the omnipresent spirit who fills the universe, the advocate, the high priest, the lamb for sinners slain, the author of redemption. Oh, glory to his name. This makes you want to shout. And then you sing the chorus again. It's all in him. It's all in him. The fullness of the Godhead is all in Jesus. It's all in him. It's all in him. The mighty God is Jesus. And it's all in him. Last verse. Yeah, I know I'm giving all to you right now. The Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. The living word incarnate. The helpless sinner's friend. Our wisdom and perfection, our righteousness and power. Yes, all we need is in Jesus and we find it this very hour. You read the chorus again, it's all in him, it's all in him. I feel like, I feel like this is how we need to really be thinking about Jesus. Everything you need is in Jesus. And the last piece of, of that song says, our God for whom we've waited will be our glad refrain of Israel recreated when Jesus comes again. Lo, he will come and save us, our king and priest to be. For in him dwell all fullness and Lord of all is he. And then we would sing the chorus once more. Everything you need is in Jesus because he is the mighty God. The mighty God is Jesus. I wish I could shout right now because I would. I feel I feel the power of God sometimes when I'm teaching this word. The power of God is here for us. And everything that you need, everything that you need, every confusion in your life, any sickness is in Jesus. He will heal and deliver and set free those that come to him in humility. Next is we find in his death, he disarmed the power of hell and defeated death itself. Of course, you may say, Pastor Don, it's easy to see the power of God at work in the life of Jesus when you simply look at the miracles and the healings that he performed. But what about his death? Well, you and I know that his execution at the hands of the Romans uh, was it not Pontius Pilate who showed real power in sentencing Jesus to death? Not Jesus, somebody would say. Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter and with his hands and feet uh, bound and then ultimately nailed to the executioner's cross. Was that strength? Was that power? This was, by the way, the criticism of the observant and orthodox Jews, both Jews and Muslims would say, what, what, 
That's not a demonstration of power dying on a cross. Uh, many of them do not have uh, much patience for Christianity. If you were to talk to the Orthodox Jew or even the observant Muslim, because um, they would say, homie was captured and killed. What kind of God is that? Then they say, when you look at Muhammad now, Muhammad, on the other hand, the founder of Islam, he escaped capture and was, as the Muslim would say, as smart and as swift as a fox. They actually do say that. They would say, isn't that real power? Evading capture, evading the enemy, not getting crucified. And what they did not know, looking down at their noses at Jesus, and while most Muslims agree that Jesus was an anointed prophet and healer, they would argue that that was all he was. But they looked down their nose at him. And they were saying, you know, if you were God, why didn't you do something about it? But look at what Paul said in, in Colossians chapter number two, right? For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and we are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, your sin, he has made alive with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against you, which was contrary to us. He is taking it, taking it away, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and power. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In other words, through his death, we now know he overcame death. And so even though his critics thought that it was a demonstrate, demonstration of weakness, it was, it was actually a demonstration of unlimited power. Because through his death, he overcame the power of death. The Bible says that he went into hell and snatched the keys of hell, death, and the grave from, from the devil. I can see him snatching it out of his hands, metaphorically in my mind. That's how I, I, I visualize it and, and say, I got you down, brother. And, and, and we really need to, to bring the word of God to life in our imaginations. Uh, let's be clear. God forgave us all for our, our sins and our trespasses. An infinite weight, an infinite weight of sin he bore on the cross. A weight none of us could bear. Indeed, there was no creature in all creation with, with enough power to bear the weight of that burden. Only an infinite being could, could bear an infinite amount of sin. That's the way I look at it, right? Um, so, too, forgiving our sins, he made us alive. He took those who were dead in their trespasses and sin, made them alive together with Christ. That, too, was an amazing display of his resurrection power in our own souls. But more than that, he disarmed all spiritual forces that were arrayed against us so that while they may still aim to shoot their guns at us, all their firing is blanks. You don't have to duck because they have been disarmed. Oh my God, I love that. They've been totally stripped of their power through the power of the cross. So that Paul writes in Romans 8, there is therefore now no curse, no condemnation for those 
who are in Christ Jesus want not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So then, <clears throat> next, Jesus is declared son of God in power. No wonder Paul describes the cross as the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18, he writes in verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are dying, those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Yes, admittedly, it is foolishness to those who do not believe in Jesus, but to those who do, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God as well, according to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1.24. But if we, if we stop there at his crucifixion, we would be left with a one-sided or a lopsided view of things. We, we needed to go on. From his death, crucifixion and death, we now need to press on to his life and then to his resurrection. There on the third day when, when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, we see the power of the mighty God in full display. Consider what Paul says at the beginning of his magnificent letter to Romans. He begins by rehearsing who Jesus is. His first messianic pedigree he talks about, his genealogy to the link of David, Israel's great king, and to his earthly life in Romans 1 verse 3. But then he moves on from there quickly, seamlessly to Jesus' enthronement as Messiah through the resurrection from the dead. Here we see the appointed son of God. Messiah himself in power by his resurrection, the anointed one from the dead, verse 4. There's never been a greater demonstration of power than when God raised Jesus from the dead and declared him to be the Messiah, the anointed one. Yet here, the amazing truth, this same power is now at work in those who, of us who believe. That's even more amazing when you think about it. I know, hard to believe, but this is why Paul tells the Christians in Ephesus that he prays to them so that they, he prays for them, that they could get their heads and hearts around this truth. He, he says in Ephesians 1, verse 16, the power, the resurrection power at work in you, if you are a believer, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you to do immeasurably more than you could ask or think. Ephesians 3.20. And so this message of Jesus being the mighty God can be, can be seen in his demonstrations. As a matter of fact, he said it to uh, his followers one time when, when they were wavering. He said, listen, if you don't believe I am he, just believe for the works that you see me do. Who else can do this? If I'm not he, then who? In other words, Jesus was you know, kind of getting a little annoyed at them. So if you are a believer this evening, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to hesitate. You don't have to pause. Because the same power at work in your life is the same power that raised Jesus from dead. If you have the Holy Ghost, you have that power. You have an immeasurably great power, more than you know, more than you know. That's why Jesus says things like, if, if, you, if you have that power, you could say to that mountain, be thou removed 
and be cast into the middle of the sea and it shall be done unto you. That's why he says things like that. Because that power that is working in us is that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Sometimes when people come to the altar and you lay hands on them and plead the blood of Jesus and pray for them in Jesus' name and the Holy Spirit falls in them and they are healed, two, three, four weeks later they come back and they testify to you and say, you know, Brother Don, you prayed for me and I am healed. I no longer feel that way. I no longer think that way. When you are fully aware of of, of that power and whether or not you are fully aware of it or not that same power that gave life to Jesus this lifeless corpse is as is at work in your life today some of you especially uh, those of you who have been around church for a while need to be reminded of this because you 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 face the most unlikely of human odds you're up against some forces far greater than you let's say do you remember the story of Abraham? Let me remind you. When God told him that even his old age, he and his wife Sarah would bear a son. Well, they thought it was crazy. Sarah laughed, right? But God knew better and reminded him that what's impossible with man is possible with God. In Romans 4, we read, Who, contrary to hope, in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken so shall your descendants be verse 19 and not being weak in faith speaking of abraham he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of sarah's womb since she was 90 years old he did not waver the bible says at the promise of god through unbelief but was strengthened in faith giving glory to god and being fully convinced that what god had promised he was also able to perform and that the Bible says, was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. In other words, he believed without seeing any evidence. That's what faith is. And so that's why Abraham became the father of faithful. He became the father of the faithful, believing without seeing. Isn't that what faith is? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. You believe in things not seen. And so some of you may need some whatever, specific provision, even material provisions, money to pay the rent and mortgage or to meet some other obligation. God hasn't given you or any one of us specific promise that he will provide your mortgage at the end of January. But we can hang on the belief that he is certainly able to do so. He certainly has the power he loves to surprise his children with grace and blessing, the Bible tells us. So as we look to him in faith and hope, some of us need God to work on reconciling our relationships, our life in him. Some of you may be in a broken relationship, your spouse or your parents or your children. God's able to fix that too you realize it's simply not within your power to, to reconcile these relationships or to fix these problems. But I'm here to tell you that God can. He is the mighty God. There's nothing that's too hard for him to do. Uh, the Bible says, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. 
Maybe the issues are are too long standing. The the pain is too deep that you've been experiencing. The damage already too great, you may say. Or for anyone, really, humanly speaking, to fix. However, I want you to believe, though, that God, who reconciled the world to himself through Jesus, is more than able to bring about a reconciliation in your life. Don't give up. Don't give up. Some of you need the mighty God. We call him Jesus to deliver you from the power that is at work in your life. The one that's exercising control or influence over you. Maybe it's through alcohol or drugs. Like this woman who is hemorrhaging blood. You've been dealing with something for 12 years or even longer. At times you're tempted to call it a bad habit. At times you, you may call it an addiction. You can recall how you've made resolutions in the past to do better. But you know that not much came of those resolutions. So you began to become skeptical. If that describes you, then don't forget about the mighty God who, whose name is Jesus who heals the brokenhearted, gives sight to the blind, breaks bad habits, even calls out the grave of those who have died. Remember Lazarus. Trust that he is able to not only heal you, but liberate you from whatever holds you back or holds you down. Whatever the sin is, that's so easily, Paul writes, uh, so easily entangle you. Jesus, the mighty God, is powerful enough to liberate you and sustain you as you trust in him. Indeed, look at the gospel, which the Bible says truly is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Romans 1, 16. And so finally, some of you are actually aware that the power that that unbelief has a power to cripple us. Perhaps you want to believe now. But you find that you're like the man, you're like the man whom Jesus met on the way to Jerusalem, who had a hard time believing. He cried out, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. I've got unbelief in me as well. And for some of you, in fact, belief, real faith has never really been a part of your life. You've never had that aha moment of coming to faith in Christ, truly being delivered by the Spirit of God. You'd like to, but you know that, at least up until this point, that kind of thing has eluded you for some reason. If this describes you, you I'd I like to invite you to look away from yourself and then now look to the mighty God. Amen. Who's able, Scripture says, to cause his light to shine in your heart and give to you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He can give you what you believe, what you need, what the Bible calls the gift of faith, that kind of faith that will displace unbelief in your life. I invite you to turn to Jesus truly in faith and trust that he's able but also willing to do what you need done. Jesus Christ, whose birth we celebrate in a couple of weeks, he is the mighty God in Jesus. Like the song I, I, I quoted earlier, he reveals to us the power of God for salvation. Indeed, Jesus Christ is 
the power of God for salvation. 1 Corinthians 1 and 24 confirms that, that Christ is the power of God and indeed the wisdom of God displayed. Amen. Amen. That's all I have for you tonight. I hope it was helpful. Hope you learned something. I hope um, the Lord is ministering to you through these studies. I pray that and I hope that if you have if you have questions thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte if this podcast has blessed you please rate it with four or five stars by doing so you will help others find our free podcast and bless them if you're in the Charlotte North Carolina area come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road for information about service times church ministries and so much more visit us online at firstchurchclt.com If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.